0: Hey, well, good morning, church. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Uh, if you're a guest, I want to give you a uh, warm welcome. And uh, those of you watching online, hey, we're glad you're tuned in as well. And I just want to talk to our church body, our church family for a second to say, hey, over 16000 for that Ukraine relief fund. I just want to say, way to go. That's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, that is going for a really good cause uh, to uh, help provide resources for people who are staying in the thick of it to serve and minister, uh, converge leaders and pastors who are, who are staying behind to, to serve uh, those who are suffering right now. So it's going for a really good cause. And then stuff the truck, that'll be awesome today. Uh, they'll be here till 2 p.m. So if you didn't bring anything this morning, just know you, you still have opportunity uh, to help do that. Well, hey, today we're wrapping up our series, um, The Scarlet Thread. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this this series as much as those of us who have worked on this series have. Um, Yeah, it's, uh, normally when we we do a series, we we either look at a Bible passage or story, uh, or we we deal with a topic that's in the Bible. And usually when you deal with a topic in the Bible, that's uh, for those of you who are interested, that's that's usually something you would call systematic theology, where you take a topic and you look at the various scriptures in the Bible that talk about that specific topic. But what we've been in is something, um, a branch called biblical theology. And biblical theology is where you take a theme that starts in the Old Testament and works its way throughout the Bible to find its fulfillment or more revelation in the New Testament. That's what we've, we've been doing in this series. And this morning we're going to wrap it up on the topic of the garden. We're going to deal with the topic of, uh, of the garden, uh, the, the garden of Eden that we read about in, uh, in Genesis and I know some of you, you, you love to garden, don't you? Some of you, you're just really good at it. You have what they'd call a green thumb. Um, you know, I, I am not really that good at gardening. I don't have a green thumb, okay? Uh, the, the only plant that I have done really well with is Chris Scherer, our communications director, gave me a succulent that has been sitting on my desk, and it's this certain succulent. And everyone else I know who got this succulent, I think they killed it. And they killed it because they actually cared for it. I mean, in two years, I didn't touch this succulent. I'm, I'm not kidding. And mine is the only one still going strong, okay? Apparently, that's the only plant I have because you don't have to do anything, apparently, with this, this succulent. If you don't water it, it thrives. Uh, but I have been known to even, like, kill off cactus, friends, under my care, Uh, You know, this is a plant that can survive the harshest desert environments. And and just a few months under my care, and somehow, uh, two cactus have have not me. I mean, I've killed off cacti. That tells you. I'm not very good with gardening. I'm not very good. I don't have a green thumb, as I know some of you do. Some of you just love working in the garden, and you're just good at it. You know, you would say, you know, you love gardening from your head to my toes, Okay, mo- mo- moving on. I-, I know who some of you are. I mean, you you put your hands in that soil. The next thing you know, you're growing tomatoes the size of your head. You know, cucumbers that are big. I don't know what to compare a cucumber to, but a big cucumber. I've seen some of what, what you do. And-, and not just gardening, just landscaping and, and making, you know, your- the... Nature around you look look better. Uh, uh, over the years, uh, Chuck and Cindy Larson have overseen our uh, our Edinburgh grounds here, and uh, just done, and others of you as well. who have worked alongside of them, just done a fantastic job. We've even won an award from the city of Brooklyn Park uh, for that work. Some of you just really, really good at uh, gardening and 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 bringing beauty to to nature. And and here's what I. I want us to realize, you maybe never thought about this, but who is the first gardener? It's not Adam. The first gardener is God. In fact, the reason we like the garden and the reason uh, we enjoy doing that is because we are made in the image of God. God is a gardener. God is the first gardener. We read this in Genesis 2. It says, now the Lord God had planted a Garden in the east, and there he put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. So, notice trees we're not just talking about you know, soil that you grow vegetables, I'm sure that would have been a part of it. But the trees out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so what does god plant he plants a garden and i i wonder what comes to mind for you when you think about this garden have you ever thought about what did that garden look like don't think like i said just a plot of soil that you grow vegetables out of. that's not primarily the kind of garden we're talking about because we noticed there were trees this is bigger than that we're, we're talking more think more of a botanical garden Okay, um, so I brought some pictures of some of the most beautiful botanical gardens uh, across the world so we can take a look. Um, you got this one in uh, uh, Bouchart Gardens in Canada. Maybe some of you have even been there, but I, I want you to notice how beautiful um, these, these grounds are. Uh, vibrant. Hey. Um, just beautiful. You got Kuchenhof uh, Garden in uh, the Netherlands. Isn't that beautiful? You got Stourhead, maybe some of you have been there, in England, it's renowned across the world. Uh, But I was even thinking, right here in our backyard, uh, right, uh, right here in Minnesota, we we do have some some beautiful gardens, we might not think of them or call them botanical gardens, but I was thinking Minnehaha Falls, Um, and keep in mind, there were rivers that ran through the Garden of Eden, so water is a part of this. And, 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 and so I, there's, a, there's a garden, but understand, God is trying to teach us something through the garden. It's not just a garden for a garden's sake. All, all this imagery, God wants to teach us something through. It. And what do gardens teach us? They teach us about life. Gardens are filled with life, right? They're lush. Uh, and the life God wants us to, to have, we learn about life through these beautiful gardens. In fact, they've done studies; they've proven people who are in gardens, around nature, or live around uh, more trees and things like that uh, have less anxiety. I mean, this is just uh, this is something they've proven. God created that in us, and so we learn about life through nature. We also learn about beauty, right? We see the beauty in these gardens. Is our God not an artist? He's an artist. He creates. Probably, I can only imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was. But we, we, we learn about beauty and, and, and artistry through, through the gardens. Um, we also learn about order. You know, our God is a God of order. Uh, keep in mind, the whole world at this point is filled with trees and plants. And God that's why God's going to give Adam and Eve the charge to go and spread this, this garden, they're supposed to see the, that garden as a template, as an example, and they are to go and spread that garden across the face of the world. In other words, they're to, to, to go and bring order to where they go, where their descendants go. That was the charge that God gave them. So we, we learn about order as well through, um, through the Garden of Eden, but we, we know how the story ends here, okay? Okay. Um, God puts the the, the tree of life in their midst so that they can live spiritually, physically. But he also puts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil, the serpent, and they sin against God. They they rebel against God. And um, while there's a lot that happens as a result of that, let, let me show us two things that pertain to the garden okay? that happen. The first is... Now, because of their sin and rebellion, there's going to be thorns. There's going to be thorns. And, and so we see God says this to Adam. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce what? Thorns and thistles for you. And this is telling, it's just telling us. <laughs> When they when they sin, it's going to bring thorns in, into the world. I mean, it's going to bring problems. It's going to bring challenges. Jesus himself said, "In this world, you you will have, you will have trouble." Some of us are experiencing thorns right now in our marriage. Some of us are experiencing thorns, raising our kids, or with other relationships in our life. Might be experiencing thorns in your finances, all kinds of areas of our life. And doesn't it, life often seems like that? It's like you take. Three steps forward, and then it's two steps back. Maybe for some of you, it feels like it's two steps forward, three steps back. Um, but this is basically where Murphy's Law is, is created. What's Murphy's Law? If something can go wrong, right, it, it will. And you wonder, why has life got to be so hard sometimes? Why does life have to be so challenged? Because of, of Adam and Eve's sin in, in the garden. They brought thorns into the world, okay? The second reason uh, or thing, consequence for their, their rebellion, though, is they are, they are banished from, from the garden. They are cast out of the Garden of Eden. We read, so the Lord God banished Adam from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed the east side of the Garden of Eden. Um, on the east side, cherubim and flaming sword, uh, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way To the tree of life. So, this this is going to lead to spiritual death and physical death because we don't have access to the tree of life. Okay, so this is the, the second consequence. We are banished from the garden. But here is the good news, okay, for us this morning where Adam fails, Jesus succeeds. And he makes a way for us to come back into the garden and to begin experiencing the garden, not just in the future, but even right now. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time we have, I want to show you four comparisons between Adam and Jesus, okay? And here's the first one. We need to start by recognizing both Adam and Jesus were perfect. There's only three people that have ever been born, created, uh, who started out with a perfect nature. Maybe you never thought about that, but there's only three people, and that would be Adam, Eve, and Jesus. You and I are not born with a perfect nature. The, the Bible is very clear about this, right? David says, I was sinful from birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We are born with a sin nature. It doesn't mean you, you come out the shoot doing anything, you know, necessarily wrong. But what it does mean is you have a predisposition in you to sin and rebel against God. In fact, it's gotten so bad, we're born in this world, we don't even realize we're supposed to bring glory to, to God. Okay? That's something now that has to be taught to us. That's because of what's happened to our nature. And that happened to our nature because you and I are children of Adam. We are all descendants of Adam. And we have inherited that sin nature. For man, that's why the Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Because we're born with that sin nature. At some point we rebel. And at some point it leads to our condemnation. Okay. And that's, that's, that's all of, uh, uh, of us. And the Bible teaches that that sin nature passes down through the male, through the husband, sorry men, but that's what the Bible teaches. And if you've ever wondered, so, so why was Jesus born of a virgin? Guys, it was so much bigger than just for God to do some miracle. Jesus had to be born of a virgin where God was his father. Otherwise, Jesus himself would have inherited a sin nature and therefore sinned and rebelled against God. So Jesus is born of a virgin, and therefore he's born with this perfect nature. So only three people, Adam, Eve, and Jesus, meaning they are born with this neutral nature that can can decide and choose and has the power to choose whether to serve and bring glory to God or to rebel. That's the first thing we need to understand, comparison we see between Adam and Jesus. They were both born with perfect natures. The second one is they were both tempted. Both Adam and Jesus are tempted. So Adam and Eve are tempted, of course, in the garden by the serpent. Again, the devil shows up and, and says, you will be like God if you eat this fruit. And, and they eat. And... Um, Fail the test, so to speak. Jesus is also tempted. In fact, um, we call it the great temptation or the temptation of Christ. And here's the irony, and I want you to see this this biblical thread, this scarlet thread. Where does the, the temptation of Christ take place? It's not in a garden. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, in the desert, the opposite of the garden. Do you see the irony there? And so, as were Adam and Eve, they are tempted in a place of perfection. I mean, it should have been so easy to say no, because they had everything at their fingertips. Life was good. They had everything so good. Why be tempted and and, and risk it all for a piece of fruit? But that wasn't Jesus' story. Jesus is tempted in a desert where he's been fasting. He's starving. He's he's surrounded by poverty, turmoil. And the devil comes around and says, he'll he'll bring him out of that. He'll provide the food. He'll give him fame and status and everything that would make life easy in a hard, harsh environment. And in that environment, Jesus says, no, I I will live by the word of God. But then... We do see a garden show up. The the, the wilderness temptation was not the greatest temptation that Jesus experienced. Where was the great temptation that Jesus experienced? It happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the devil shows up there too. You can believe. He says, if you will quit this mission that you're on, sell your soul to me. I will, I will get you out of this. And there Jesus in another garden, the garden of Gethsemane, he's going to be tempted to escape the cross. We're told there he sweats drops of blood as he knows what is looming. He prays, Father, take this cup from me, But he knows in his soul, he knows in his heart of hearts, this is what God has called him to. And so he concludes that prayer, not my will, your will, Father. Be done. Friends, and where Adam fails, Jesus succeeds. Where Adam falls, Jesus stands. And he goes to the cross. Both tempted. But Jesus comes out the victor. Third, very interesting uh, comparison is both have a bride. So, of course, Adam has a bride, Eve. Do you remember how Eve is fashioned? We're told God puts him in a deep sleep, makes a wound in his side, takes out a rib, and Eve is fashioned. And Adam wakes up and says, whoa, man. And that's where we get the word woman. I'm <laughs> making that up. Could <laughs> and I find this interesting? Jesus has a bride too. Who, who who who's Jesus' bride? Yeah, it's the church. And you remember when Jesus dies on the cross in a figurative deep sleep? What happens? The Roman soldier shows up with a spear and pierces him where? In the side where he bleeds blood and water that's going to cleanse and purify the church. Friends, the church is born through Jesus' death. And that's you and me. That's those of us who belong to Christ. We are the church. We are just as Eve was Adam's companion. You and I are the companion of Jesus Christ, which means you are loved. You are favored. You are blessed. Friends, you are his closest companion. You are his, you are his bride. And we're supposed to be working alongside of him while we're here on earth, fulfilling the mission alongside of him. We are the bride of, of Christ. And we're told we will one day see him face to face and we will, we will feast. <clears throat> but this brings us to the last comparison I, I want to um, show us, which is the, the garden itself. Um, there's a comparison here with the garden where Adam and Eve get us banished from the garden. Jesus makes a way for us to come back into the garden. He makes a way to give us access again and to begin experiencing uh, the garden even, even even today. And this is where we have to be careful uh, because some of you might hear that, and, and this is where, you know, if you take this too far, you can spill over into something called the prosperity gospel, which teaches, you know, perfect health, perfect wealth, and prosperity. Um, friends, we need to remember, no, in this life, there's still thorns. We still experience the thorns. And so while we would reject the prosperity gospel, there's also another danger. And I wonder in our circles if this is more where we find ourselves, and it's called the the poverty gospel. And and the poverty gospel says it's all thorns, It's all thorns. Life is just miserable. There's no hope, and we just wait for Jesus to return. And I see a lot of Christians walking around with that kind of demeanor. It's just all thorns. Life is just misery until Jesus returns. But friends, Jesus comes to make a way for you and I to begin experiencing the garden in our lives. Today, planting seeds of love, planting seeds of joy, bringing life again to us, bringing beauty again in in the midst of the ugliness of this world. You were looking at somebody whose life was ugly. (laughs) I can't deny Christ. He has brought beauty back to my life. In In a world of thorns. He's brought beauty back to my life. He's brought order back to my life. In a world of chaos, my life was chaos. And Jesus restored order where order was, was needed. In the midst of, of the thorns that we still deal with today. And So this is why our prayer team, uh, our leaders, Robin Hokinson, Phyllis Swanson. I love they. They have this expression. We wanna we wanna pull heaven down. We wanna bring heaven down as much as possible, friends. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, Father, Your will be done on earth, at what? As it is in heaven. Church, we wanna call heaven down. We want as much of the garden as we can get. Amen. There's gonna be thorns. But well, I don't know about you. I want as much of the garden as I can get. And Jesus makes a way so that you and I, in the midst of the world, we can't get back into the garden of Eden just yet. So what does Jesus do? He brings the garden to us. And he is the great gardener. What did I say? Who did I say was the first gardener? It was God. Jesus is the great gardener. In fact, I love the irony that we see right after the um, resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of John. This is where Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She finds Jesus' body is missing, and and she she finds Jesus, but she doesn't recognize that it's Jesus. And listen to how John tells this. He says, uh, so Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. (laughs) She said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said, Mary, do you realize who you're talking to? I am the gardener. I am the great gardener. And I can't help but wonder, some of us today who have some thorns, who have popped up in our life. We got some issues going on in our life and it's gotten out of control and the thorns have taken over and I don't know what that might be for you. And you need to invite the great gardener to come into your life. It's a marriage issue. Friends, we have stories right here at Edinburgh where affairs have taken place and both were humbled and surrendered and invited the gardener to come into their life where he started to plant seeds of grace. And seeds of forgiveness. And do some pruning where pruning was needed. And before you know it, seeds of love begin to sprout up and grow with deeper roots than there was before the affair. We have stories like that right here at Edinburgh Church. We've seen families torn apart, but they invite the gardener in and the gardener begins trimming. The gardener begins bringing order in the midst of the chaos. And there begins to be life, not without thorns not without thorns, but there begins to be life again and beauty again in order where there was only chaos. For some of you, it's your finances today or other relationships in your life Today, some of you, it's just your whole life. Your life is a complete mess, overrun and choked out by the thorns. And I'm telling you, if you will invite Jesus, the great gardener, to come in, he will come in and begin cleaning you up and bringing life and beauty and order again. And you are looking at a testimony of it. Over and over, not just in my past. This is what he does he prunes where there's pruning needed, and he plants where planting is needed. Because he's good. And he loves us. But the good news is, the even better news, friends, one day, one day, there won't be any more thorns. We're told one day there's not going to be any more thorns. There's not going to be any more tears. There's not going to be any more pain, any more suffering. In fact, we get this picture in Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And let me read it for you. It says, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. It's a river in Eden. It's clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves... Of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The thorns are gone. The thorns are gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not uh, need the light of lamp or the light of the sun, God's first creation, right? The first day light. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And so the Bible begins with the garden. And it ends with Christ making us a way, for us a way to end back up where? In the garden, in the city of God. Because where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded and made a way for his bride to spend eternity with him. Amen? Amen. So we're going to celebrate this Jesus, the victor, (laughs) this morning, the great gardener. We're going to take communion uh, together. Uh, So hopefully you grabbed a a communion cup on your way in. If you didn't, um, there's people in the back. Just raise your hand, and there's people in the back who will bring you a communion cup. I'd love for you to be able to take part in this with us. Just keep your hand raised, and this one, yeah, Gary. Right um, you know, we read about the tree of life in uh, Jim. Jim, we got some more right over here. The tree of life in the garden. And I, I don't want to take away from the, the, the literality of the tree of, of life. I think God uses these literal pictures to teach us spiritual lessons bigger lessons than, than just getting stuck on, 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 on the literal idea that we're going to eat fruit. But I mean, what really is the fruit of this, this tree of life? I, I, I find this interesting. I did a study on this. I don't have time to show us all of the verses. I'm going to show you one verse that uses this word for tree multiple times to refer to the cross. In fact, some of the more modern translations even change it. I don't like that because the actual literal translation is tree. And here's one, 1 Peter 2.24. I don't have this, so I'm just going to read it for you. It says, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the what? The tree. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Okay, so Jesus died. The Bible uses this language intentionally. Jesus died on a tree. Doesn't mean there were branches and and leaves, but it wants to use this idea of a wooden structure that ties in. Do we understand the fruit of the tree of life is nothing other than Jesus? Jesus is the one who gives us life. Jesus is the one. So as we're in this world, still in a world where we're battling thorns, we're, we're fighting thorns, we're still going to die a physical death unless Jesus returns. Spiritually, he now gives us access to the tree of life himself, his body, where when we eat and we drink, guess what happens? We live. And some of you today, you need life. You need life in your soul. You need life in your inmost being. That's what Christ brings us spiritually. When we eat and we drink. So please don't treat this thing, communion, as some formality. Or just something that the church does, some kind of ritual. Friends, this is how we live. <laughs> and so we want to take it and we want to savor. And we want to let it get sink down into our inmost being. So that Christ can fill us again with life until we take it again. So we're gonna take out, Waver, you just peel off that top layer. We just say, Thank you, Jesus, for your body broken for us so that we could have life. You died so that spiritually we could be filled. And we want to take you in today, Lord, and feed off you so that life will be now in us. And then we take the cup. You just peel back that second layer. And we thank you, thank you Jesus, for your, your shed blood. This represents his shed blood for us. When we come to this by faith, this is powerful. Uh, It's his blood. One drop of this blood, friends, can wash you from a lifetime of sin. It's powerful to cleanse you and to give you the life. And the blood is life to give you the life of Christ. And so we want to take it into our inmost being. Amen? So Let's take it in together. We say thank you, Jesus. Well, Great Gardener, we invite you in today into our lives. We ask that you would just come in and do the work that only you can do because we want to experience that life. We want to experience that beauty. We want to experience that order in every area where we can. We're going to call heaven down this morning. We want as much of it as we can get, Jesus, as you are in our midst, the Great Gardener. We say we love you, and now we get an opportunity to worship church. We going to say, Jesus, we love you through this worship. And all God's people said, amen. Friends, why don't we stand and sing?